0: Welcome to Calvary Chapter Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Philippians chapter four, verses two through nine, with Pastor John King. All right, you guys. Good morning. We are uh, going to do a couple more messages from the book of Philippians. We'll finish it, uh, Lord willing, next week, and so that we can uh, move right on into Colossians, as we, as Miss Virginia mentioned. Uh, please take advantage of the. Uh, devotional books. And uh, if we run out, we can order more in plenty of time. So if you really, if you think you want a book for Colossians, it starts in two weeks, please go back. They're in the box back there. Uh, Take one, mark your name, how many you took. And if there's none left, if you showed up late, put your name on the list and we'll order some more. Just put the amount you would like. But, uh, We're kind of, I'm on a a little bit of a a kick, I guess, is to kind of unify us a little bit better as a church. Not that there's a problem, but today's message is on unity. But anyway, um, but we want to stay connected. And one of the ways that we do stay connected is through the Word of God. And so we're trying to make it more uh, user-friendly, if you will. I'm I'm encouraging you guys to uh, read the passage, the week prior for the study that we're going to have. So hopefully this week you read our passage for today, which is going to be Philippians 4 verses 2 through 9. And then next week you can just read the rest of the chapter and, you know, take some notes, pray over it, pray for uh, for myself as I prepare the message as well. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week where we left off, um, you know, the race of life has been called a, you know, quote, rat race. Uh, It's been said many times, rat race, if you look it up, it's defined as an endless, self-defeating or pointless pursuit. The phrase equates humans to rats attempting to earn a reward, such as cheese, in vain. And it may also refer to a competitive struggle to get ahead financially or routinely. The term is commonly associated with an exhausting, repetitive lifestyle that leaves no time for relaxation or enjoyment, rat race. Jim Bishop used the term rat race in his book, The Golden Ham, which is a candid biography of Jackie Gleason. That's the title. The term occurs later in a letter that Jackie Gleason wrote to his wife, in which he says, television is a rat race. And remember this, even if you win, you're still a rat. (laughs) You guys like, who know Jackie Gleason? But last week, Paul, he proved to us once again, that the Christian life, the life that you and I lead, does not have to be a rat race. We can run with a proper perspective. We can be cautious along the way of false teachers. We can have an eye of expectation towards the eternal promises of eternal life and resurrected bodies we can live here in a loving way. Go figure. And we can become more like Jesus. How about that? Standing firmly in His will and protection. In fact, the first verse of Philippians chapter 4, he says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. And he closes that with beloved. Standing fast in the Lord. That's your life. It's not a rat race, or it shouldn't be. Now, today, Paul is going to return to the subject of unity. Apparently, that can be a problem in church. Unity. And in that pursuit, we are also to be joyful in and through all those circumstances. In fact, our kindness towards others draws on the comfort of knowing that the Lord is near. The Lord is present. He will also command us to stop worrying and start praying. And finally, we are to develop the habit of thinking on the things that reflect the character of God. Why? In order to live out this Christian life. As we fellowship with the one true God, the God of peace. Amen? Let's look at our passage then, that I know you read ahead of time. He says, I implore Eodia and I implore to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned, and received, and heard, and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. And so Father, we thank You for Your presence, Lord. We want to come before You with adoration, and love, for your kindness and your goodness, knowing that this is the day that you have made and that you have given to us, each of us. And Lord, we come before you and ask simply that you would teach us your word today. Speak to us the words of life. Breathe into us new understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. Convict our hearts where there needs to be change But Lord, we know that You're with us. And we know that if we know You, and if we're in You, we will experience You as the God of peace. So go before us in our time together in Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 So we start out today with the simple, you know, if you have, your your Bible may be laid out this way. It already has sort of the titles broken out. You know, it says in my Bible, it says to be, to be united. And then he says, to be joyful. We're going to see that in a little while. And he says, and do it in prayer. Be united, joyful, and in prayer. And he starts out by pursuing unity and peace within the fellowship. And he calls out a couple of names. He starts naming names, something that I wouldn't dare to do here. But he's the Apostle Paul, and he's in jail. So how can they hurt him? can hurt him worse than he's already been hurt. Amen. But here's, he says, I implore Eodia and I implore Suntike. <inaudible> Correct. However you want to pronounce it, my friend. <laughs> and he says, I implore or I admonish and I exhort them to pursue a certain course of conduct. And he says right away, I implore you two women to be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, to agree, to cherish the same views, to be harmonious, and to be careful with regard to one another. He says to do it in the Lord, our true foundation that we read about just a few minutes ago. Earlier in Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 27, he gave similar, he said, he said for us, he says, remember this, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, speaking of unity, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now obviously Paul has become aware of some sort of conflict between these two ladies. And he speaks with great concern. He knows that relationship problems can be very stressful. They're very draining. They can serve to distract those involved from their calling in the Lord. Simply put, conflict can take the joy out of every area of your life, as one writer said. You may have heard the the rhyme. I'd never heard it before, but I found it. I thought this was a good, uh, appropriate thing. The rhyme goes like this, to live above with the saints we love. Oh, that will be the glory. But to live below with the saints we know. Well, that's another story. (laughs) That's a sad truth, isn't it? Sometimes. Notice that Paul's admonition to the ladies is very simple. He says, just be of the same mind, be of the same mind, or perhaps what he's saying in our language would be, you two ladies need to get it together. He's not going into details. He's not adding drama or he's not giving him a long-winded speech, but he does, however, make sure that someone at the church helps them to resolve the conflict. He can't go there. And so he says in verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. This true companion or yoke fellow, if you have a King James version, this was a colleague or a partner. This was somebody in the church, unnamed. Uh, Some writers think it might be true companion, uh, yoke fellow. The the Greek word is uh, cisgos. That could actually be his, his real name. And he says to help these women. In other words, assist them. And why? Because, you know, these are the ones that Paul remembers the good things. He remembers that they labored with him in the gospel. And so he's, you know, they were, they were working toward a common goal when Paul was there in Philippi. These ladies are very dear and important to Paul when he established the church in Acts chapter 16. We've read about the history of the church in Philippi. And we saw in Acts chapter 16 that the first Christians were women, namely Lydia, a seller of purple who worshiped God. And when Paul and his companions, you know, they met, there wasn't a Jewish synagogue there. So they met by the river where others had apparently met early in the morning. And they discovered there were women who were meeting there. And so women were like Eodia and Syntyche, or however you want to say it. They were together. And this was part of this early church at Philippi. They came to know the Lord through Paul's ministry. Notice he also mentions, this is for you you Bible students, he mentions uh, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers. Ancient writers and historians are of the opinion that this is the same Clement who was to be known as the early Bishop of Rome, or Clement of Rome, an early church father, who was famous for his writings, which are still preserved, to the church in Corinth. It wasn't biblical, it wasn't biblical, but this was Clement. You know, remember the early church fathers were men who had been discipled by the apostles themselves. They were the very next generation. So it goes from generation to generation. And so this was, you know, a side worker. And a side note about Clement of Rome. But notice he says, my fellow workers or my fellow laborers. And that word in the Greek is synergos, which means, we get the word synergy. They work together. They're furthering the cause of Christ. And then he goes on and he kind of, he ends with this, and he, he mentions these folks and he says, whose names are in the book of life. We would say whose names are, you know, we would say they're saved. They're true Christians. This is the book which the names of those are recorded to whom eternal life has been decreed. The book of life in Revelation three five. The angel spoke and he said, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. Over in Revelation twenty fifteen, there's no slide for this. If anyone is not found written in the book of life, they would be cast into the lake of fire at the great white throne judgment. The question, you can't avoid the question, is this you? Or is your name been blotted out from the book of life because you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, over the course of time, in this little section here, before we move on to the next... We have, and we will, I don't need to tell you, we're going to experience disagreement. We're going to experience hurt. We're going to experience anger and frustration, guess what, among ourselves as a church. And it will sometimes become widely known. And our default position, sometimes, is to say, well, who is at fault? You know, who's causing this problem? What's going on? You know, when we're outside and we hear about some turmoil, we hear about a disagreement or a falling out among a brother and a sister, in the fellowship especially. That can be extremely painful. And that's where you and I need to quickly determine whether we're going to be a part of the problem or part of the solution. You know the problem, gossip or taking sides, or avoiding somebody because you think that they're in the wrong, or expressing anger, or internalizing it and becoming bitter. Or there's the solution. You know, we need to nip things in the bud, so to speak. Start to pray, and stay out of it if it's not directly affecting you. Encourage biblical approaches to conflict resolution, the modern term. No slide for this. You know, Matthew 8, uh, 18, he says, moreover, if your brother, this is Jesus, Jesus' is advice to somebody who's having a struggle with another. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother or your sister. Now, what if the conflict does involve you? You know, we'd, sometimes we'd like to look for application on Sundays. And what if it does involve you? Uh, One writer offered three options to consider. You may have heard this before. You're involved in a conflict with somebody, a disagreement. You can compromise, you can concede, or you can just can it all together. What do we mean by that? Compromise means you sort of look for a middle ground approach. Each person concedes something, but neither person has to do all the sacrificing in this situation. No one gets everything, but both get something. Or there's concession. This is where one person does all the sacrificing or giving in. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? One person does all the sacrificing or giving in, but this has to be a free choice. You don't make yourself a martyr. If it's not a free choice, you'll have bitterness and it won't last. So you can compromise, you can concede, or you can can it. You can just say, you know what, let's agree to disagree and put it on the shelf for right now. Those are some ideas. Those are suggestions. Paul didn't even go through those great lengths. Perhaps somebody who helped these two women might have done that. You've heard them before, but the Bible gives us clear commands that we're to live out regardless of how things work out no matter how it works out. In First Peter 3 verses 8 and 9, he says to the saints, he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted and be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Moving on, we go into our next section. He said to be joyful. First, he talks about being united. Now we're talking, now let's moving forward to be joyful. Another command, which he repeats with emphasis. Notice he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He continues to bring forth this glad and cheerfulness. And he says that you were to do it at all times. Remember, this is the epistle of joy. This is Paul's letter to the Philippians. Fourteen times at least he mentions joyful or joyousness in this letter. And you've got to come back to the question, you know, the argument. How can a man who's been under arrest for the past four years say to rejoice? He didn't know whether he'd be released or be executed, and yet he repeats this command. Why? Because Paul had learned through his many trials that God was in control and that he had a good purpose for whatever he was going to face in this life. Here's a simple exercise. I'm sure you've all heard of this one. Take a white sheet of paper. We don't have that, I'm not passing them out today. Take a white sheet of paper, blank, and then when you look at the paper, place a dot in the middle of it. Now, what do you see? you see the dot. But what do you see on the rest of the paper? You see, the dot represents your problems, but the white space, your blessings. Our problem is that the moment one black spot appears in our lives, we fix our attention on it, and we fail to focus on all the good things in our lives. I knew a a guy I used to work with, a, a colleague of mine, And you would see him and you'd you'd do the typical greeting. How's it going? You know, and most people are like, ah, it's going great. Uh, But he would always answer. He goes, you'd ask him the question, hey, good morning. How's it going? He'd say, better than I deserve. That was his, you know, I mean, that'll always get your attention. You're like, better than I deserve. What's he talking about? You know, can't you just like, why do we have to go deeper? (laughs) Um, I just wanted to say hi. But our problem, you know, instead of this ho hum or so answer, now you might object. You could say, well, at least, you know, I'm being honest. There's a, lo- there's a lot of us, we like to be honest. And I hear you. But may I suggest that, first of all, Paul is not saying that you rejoice in your problems. No, he's saying rejoice in the Lord, despite the present hardship. And second, we can rejoice today, and this is so important. We can rejoice every single day of every moment of every day. You think, well, that's, that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's going to be in heaven, but we can. Why? Because the Lord made the day. Did you make the day? No, he made the day. So you can rejoice in him. Psalm 118 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You got to tell yourself that sometimes, don't you? Another command in verse 5, he says, reveal, he's he's talking about revealing kindness and gentleness to all men. You know, let it out. Let the kindness come out. Reveal it. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. This gentleness, you know, maybe that's not something a, a macho guy like me likes to talk about. I know there's none of you out there like that. But it means to be equitable. It means to be fair. It needs to be mild. It means to be gentle. But I like this definition, sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. You know, and he's saying, reveal that to others. Get past yourself. Let it be known to all men in every way and on every side, if possible. In other words, lighten up, chill out. Why? because of the comfort that you should have from the Lord's presence. And he says, this, he says, the Lord is at hand. That's why you need to be gentle, because God is right there with you. He's in your life right there. And it's also, we sang that song, you know, come Lord Jesus, come. His return could be at any moment. We don't know. And so, we should be comforted by the Lord's presence. We should be comforted by the Lord's return. And we should also be cautious. Let's do a little self-examination here. I, I question, I, my question to you is, on average, because nobody's perfect, on average, what are you and I most widely known for? just write that in your notes, put that in your mind. What are you and I most widely known for on average? Is it my kindness or my gentleness? Or is it my strong opinion on every single subject? Even when nobody's asking. You see, we have that disease. I hear you chuckling. You better be laughing at yourself (laughs) because we have this problem in our world today. You know, you used to have to buy encyclopedias from the guy that would come knock on your door and sell you the encyclopedias, remember him? And that's where all the knowledge was, right? After you paid your monthly fee for two years, <laughs> you got all those, those encyclopedias, or you went off to college and you got smart, supposedly. Well, now we're super smart all the time, every time, all, at, any, at any given time, because we can look up everything right now, can't we? we have access to every subject we can think of. And therefore we think, I think, sometimes I have a right to give my opinion on them too. Now there's an exhaustive number of subjects. So think about how you not only wear yourself out, but you wear out others. When we always express our opinion. I'm speaking to myself, folks. What do you want to be known for? Maybe you're known for anger or bitterness or constant worry. Paul offers us a cure. We're going to go into that. And that's called prayer. Psalm one forty five eighteen. I meant, remember the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So he said, first of all, be united. Then we talked about what we just talked about being joyful. And now he says, be in prayer. In other words, stop worrying and start praying. Verse 6, he says, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, give your tomorrow back to God, who knows it. You have enough for today. Anxious to be troubled by cares. Tommy Heigel wrote an interesting thought. He said, stress causes us to do some very strange things. This week, I read about a woman who shared with her friend, my husband brought me a mood ring the other day. And when I'm in a good mood, it turns green. When I'm in a bad mood, it leaves a red mark on his forehead. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. Nothing what? Nothing that leaves you troubled. Nothing that makes you troubled. And we have so much access, access to that trouble. You see, the anxiety is mostly about allowing tomorrow's concerns to take over today's thoughts and then causing problems. We're talking about physical problems, emotional or even spiritual problems. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus addressed the issue at length. See, it's not a modern society only that struggle with problems. Right? <laughs> All people worry each and every day and they have stress and anxiety. And when Jesus reminded them that God provided for their needs, talking about clothing and food, and that they were not to worry, but instead to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. He concludes with this, Matthew 6, 34. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Yeah, give tomorrow, not only to God, but give it to tomorrow. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. So he's saying, don't worry, but do something else. How about this? Start praying. Start praying. And he he does it through what you could see here when you read it. It's three steps. He says to pray with supplication and with thanksgiving. To pray with, to pray, to pray with supplication and with, excuse me, thanksgiving. So when we come to the Lord in prayer, you know, I know about crisis. We know about the crisis, times when things are really going bad. But how about maybe just if you have the time, just not rushing in, but taking your time to adore God for who He is, calmly coming before the Lord. And then you come and you share your needs with supplication and you're specific and you're honest about what's troubling you. And then having done that, you do it with thanksgiving. You tell the Lord, thank you. You give him appreciation. How often do we do that? Oftentimes we, we, you know, Lord, you've got to fix this problem. It's, you know, help me, you know. But do we stop and thank him at the end of our prayers? Thank you, Lord, that you've heard our voice you know that's a step for us for physical and emotional help that gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5:18 he said Paul said in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So this giving of thanks if you're wondering what's God's will for your life it's that he would hear you say thank you. It's the will of God when you make your requests known and he says let your request be made known to petitions. And when you're letting them be known, we, we know, you, you've, I don't have a slide for this one, but Matthew 7, 7, you're familiar. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Persistent prayer. And as we said in 1 John, he, uh, he writes, 1 John 5, 15. It says, and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. In other words, He is not hard of hearing. (laughs) He is not hard of hearing. In summary, it's been said so many times, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. That's something we're all trying to learn, right? And not just the big things. This is a relationship we have with God. Paul is trying to encourage our relationship with God, the God of peace. Now, let me back up. The verse does not say that you give thanks to God for everything. It says to give thanks in everything. In all circumstances, you can thank God that He is with you and has a purpose for whatever happens in your life. I've said that three times already today, I think. And notice the, what the result is in verse 7. Supernatural results. Remember, this is a supernatural relationship that you have with the living God who created the entire universe. It says, if you will pray, it says supernatural results and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What is that peace of God? It's, it's been defined in the Blue Letter Bible says, it's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot and whatsoever sort that it is. I mean, that's a full understanding, a full, uh, you know, expression of the peace of God, which surpasses or excels or to be a superior all understanding. Understanding is that faculty of knowing something. But when you go to something, when you come across something, and especially in a supernatural respect, you say, it's beyond me. It is beyond me. It is beyond my understanding. But notice how important, not only that truth, but notice what happens in this supernatural relationship. He will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will protect and preserve you. He will protect what's in your heart and in your mind and in your thoughts. And the result is that the peace of God, it guards your heart and mind. And you will remember that Paul, now look, he was chained to a Roman soldier. So, you know, these things would come to him. He was guarded day and night. But as one writer put it, The peace of God stands guard over two areas that create worry. The heart, wrong feelings, and the mind, which is wrong thinking. You know, so our emotions can be off, our thinking can easily be off. And God puts a guard over that. He wants to protect us from those things. He wants to stand watch when we can't stand watch. He wants to be in our hardest moments, when all we can do is groan or cry out to the Lord. He wants to stand guard over your heart and your mind. Will you let Him? Will you let Him? Guard your hearts and minds through who? Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26, 3. Speaking of God, the prophet said, you will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. Do you trust in the Lord? to guard your heart and mind? Or are you still running that rat race? Are you still letting that worry overcome you? Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He starts with a question. He said, what is worry? The Greek word translated anxious or careful in Philippians means to be pulled apart in different directions. That's what worry is. It tears you apart. I'm all torn up. I've been up all night. Our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us in the opposite opposite direction, he writes. And so we're being pulled apart. He notes, interesting what he, he does here again. He says, the old English root for we get the word worry means to strangle. If you've ever really worried, then you know, how it strangles a person. You know, you can be so bound up in fear and worry that you're incapable of functioning. In fact, worry has definite definite physical consequences. We get headaches, we get neck pains, we have ulcers, even back pains. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination. And so Paul says, "Stop worrying." start praying, because praying changes things. We talked earlier about the two ladies who were at odds, and Paul was urging them to reconcile and others to help it, make it happen. Let me say to the ladies and the gentlemen here at this church, your prayer meetings and the private prayers that you have, if you can't attend a prayer meeting that you have on behalf of the church, It's what I believe keeps us a healthy and unified church. It's not my preaching, it's not, it's your time in prayer. Even if you're praying right now, you know, for me, thank you, if you are, it's your prayer to God. If my communication is even coming across, you know, incoherent, it's because God and because of your prayers. And we talked earlier uh, this morning in, about prodigals. I'm not going to mention a name, but there was somebody who lifted up a prodigal. And we were reminded again, do not stop praying for your prodigals. Don't. Because someday they may come to you and say, thank you for praying for me. Don't stop praying, folks finally, we close with the last two verses where Paul says, you know, having laid all this out, being in unity, being, you know, together, um, being in prayer, being joyful. He says now, let that change your thinking. Remember, we have to change our thinking so God can change our hearts. And so, think right, do right, you know, meditate on the character of the right things, meditate on what's right. He gives us a list. You may recall from the book of Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, Paul told the church, he says, you're to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And here he, gives, he lays out some tools with which to do so. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, things that are unconcealed things that are factual, things that confirm to reality. You know, it's been said many times, over 90% of the things that people worry about are either imaginary, they never happened, or they involve something that you couldn't have changed anyway. He says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, these words are sort of self, self-defining, whatever is honorable, what is just, what is right, what is pure, from every fault, what is lovely, what is acceptable and pleasing to God, what is of good report, things spoken in a kind spirit and goodwill towards others. If there's any virtue, he says, any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, commendation, not condemnation, he said, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things, take into account, weigh them. You've heard this quote, probably. I've never said it, but I've heard it many times. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It's important how we think. And it's important to consider the things that we dwell upon most of the time. Now, the best source for these things is, of course, the Word of God. It's the Word of God that gives us that. It's why we're trying to be encouraged to come together in the reading of Scripture, and preparing ourselves to come on Sunday. No slide, Psalm 19, 7 through 9, it says, "The the law of the Lord is perfect. These are the things. This is how David counts the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So think right, and then of course, do right. The command to practice and obey the word or the truth of God. The things, he says in verse 9, that you learned, that you received and you heard and you saw in me. Paul's description for right living. Learn the Word of God. Receive the Word of God. Hear it and do it. That's the reason why I'm encouraging us again to read ahead, sort of priming the pump for what you've learned today then you come back and you receive the Word of God. You hear the Word of God. And now we go out and we do it. And what's the result? He says, these do and God of peace will be with you. Amen. The God of peace. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty-seven: peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. this is a good place to ask yourself, what am I taking in? You know, what's, what's my habit? What do I watch just before I go to bed at night? Because what I put in my mind before I go to sleep at night is going to haunt me the whole night, whether I know it or not. You could say that Paul was kind of being a brave man by saying this, you know, and to imitate me. He's willing to let it all hang out with regard to his character. And you and I might take that a little farther, if we were put that challenge upon ourselves. you know, tell others to imitate us. You might say something like, I'm not sure I could do that. I'm not sure I could challenge others to follow my example, that is. And the question that can't be avoided is, why? Because I'm not perfect. Because I know my sinful ways. Well, Paul did not think that he was sinless by any stretch but he was committed to living out his faith. So we need to be cautious about false humility as well and making excuses for not practicing and obeying the Lord. Finally, I I believe there does come a time when you and I are going to face challenges and even the very worst of hardships, but he will guard your heart and your mind through it. We close with a story, many of you may have heard this story, it concerns the famous hymn called, It Is Well With My Soul. This was a hymn that was penned by this hymnist, Horatio Spafford, and it was composed by a man named Philip Bliss, get it, Bliss, I like that. First published in gospel hymns number two by Ira Sankey and Bliss in 1876. It is possibly the most influential and enduring in this man Bliss's repertoire and is often taken as a model appearing in hymnals in a wide variety of Christian fellowships. But listen to this. The hymn was written after traumatic events in Spafford's life. The first two were the death of his four-year-old son in the Great Chicago Fire in 1871, which ruined him financially. He had been a successful lawyer and invested significantly in property in the area of Chicago that was extensively damaged by the great fire of Chicago. So he lost his four-year-old son. He lost his, his business wealth. His business interests were further, further hit by an economic downturn, downturn in 1873, and at which time he had planned to travel to England with his family on the ship, the S.S. Villa du Havre, to help this evangelist D.L. Moody with his upcoming evangelistic campaigns. In a late change of plans, he sent his family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning zoning problems with the Great Chicago Fire. And while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sea vessel, the Lockhearn. And all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent the now famous telegram, quote, saved alone. Shortly afterwards, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. He, he, he sailed right past the location of the shipwreck. 150 years ago, this song was written. You're familiar with it. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast sought me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. And you know the refrain, it is well, it is well, with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. He will guard and protect your hearts and minds. You have to surrender to Him. Lord, we thank You for our time today. We ask, Lord God, that You would just be among us as we sing our closing song today, as we reflect on the things that You've spoken to us. Lord, our hearts are soft for You, and I pray that we're all thankful for the things that You do in our lives as You hear us, as You take us through all the ups and downs in life. Go before each family that's represented here today and be with those who could not be with us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Help us now to go and do the things that you call us to do. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.